Hello, you are listening to Astrology Hotline, the podcast where we answer your questions about astrology. We're doing something a little different with this episode. We are continuing our series of Astrology Basics with an episode on the signs. So I am here with Kyle and uh, with our special guest, Bonnie. Hello. Hello. Hello to both of you. Uh, do you want to you tell us a little bit about yourself and your interest in astrology, Bonnie? Sure. Uh, my name is Bonnie May. Um, I am studying Hellenistic astrology right now. I'm also facilitating at the Stardance Mystery School. Um, I just got I got more interested in astrology um, before. It was like via studying witchcraft for many years, but I got more interested interested in astrology in the beginning of the pandemic through TikTok. Actually, TikTok is what converted me, um, and just to, uh, just to seeing that there's actually more to astrology than just like what's your sun sign. Although we are going to talk about signs today, and there I think there is a lot more juicy information about the signs that um, outside of pop astrology. And so that's what got me into it. So I've just been studying it really extensively in the pandemic. And um, during this winter, when I don't have as much to do, I'm going to be um, studying Chris Brennan's Hellenistic Astrology course and electional astrology. Awesome. I got my start with YouTube, I think. Nice. Yeah. TikTok is like the new version of that. I think it started for me like way back on like cafeastrology.com in the early 2000s was my introduction yeah there was no like facebook even yet when i started learning so yeah i definitely knew more about astrology like a long time ago but i really only knew about like my sun sign scorpio so i was like i knew a lot about scorpio but not anything else (laughs) do you need to know about any other signs though really (laughs) Yeah, but and then when you learn that you have a moon sign and a rising sign, then you have to learn a whole other sign and it just becomes even more interesting. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, today we're, Bonnie's joining us to do a deep dive into the signs. So I guess our, our first question that uh, we should tackle is what are the signs? Yeah, what are the signs? And to know what the signs are. Uh, it's important to know what the ecliptic is. And this is like one of the most fundamental astronomy facts that any astrology nerd should know is what the ecliptic is. Um, so the Earth obviously orbits around the sun. And uh, from our point of view on Earth, it appears that the sun is actually moving through the sky and it it moves around the celestial sphere over the course of a year. So from our point of view, it sort of creates this great big circle all around the Earth. And that great big circle is known as the ecliptic. Um, And ancient astrologers were uh, kind enough to divide that ecliptic into 12 signs. So essentially, each sign is just an area of the sky that uh, planets and other celestial bodies, from our point of view, appear to move through. Yeah, I like to think of it as like the film strip. Kind of like where everything is yes. happening, where all the action is happening, where the planets are are moving. Yeah, film strip is a really good visual. That's totally how I've been visualizing it without realizing that was yeah. how I was visualizing it. So thank you. And I think there are other systems of astrology that like will incorporate things like outside of the, the ecliptic. But I think like even I don't know, the like the fixed stars that we use for the most part are within the ecliptic. Correct. 
I think that's a whole, there's a whole complicated system to that because um, not all the fixtures that we use are along the ecliptic. Um, so one system is to like find a way of projecting the ecliptic outward. Mm. And that's how you figure out what sign each star is in. And then there's another system, but I, I am not, I don't have a background yeah, in the fixed stars, so I'm not familiar with all the different ways of working that out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all math. Yeah. I chose the form of divination. That's all math for some <laughs> yeah. reason. We have computers <laughs> that do all the math thinking, for us but now. But here I am. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Yeah, the we got it easy. Had to do it all by hand. Yeah. Yeah, it can be sort of deceptive though, too, is because you get so accustomed to looking at the sky uh, as this sort of two-dimensional circle, you know. And even though things are sort of limited within the band of the ecliptic, uh, there's a lot of space there to for planets to be above each other, below each other. There is, but we've. I mean, we've got a system where you know we know we know what sign they're in. You know, depending on. Uh, for the sun, the time of year that you're you're in, the sun will be in a different sign. The the signs are conceptually pretty similar to the houses, actually, in that they're just divisions of space that things move through. Um, with the key difference being that the planets move through all twelve houses over the course of a day. Um, so the sun will move through all twelve houses in twenty four hours, but the sun moves through all twelve signs over the course of a year. So it's sort of a longer uh, unit of measurement. Yeah. And it also means that the position of uh, planets in your birth chart by house is a little bit more personal and localized than their position by sign. Yeah. Do do we want to say a little bit about how the signs were sort of constructed originally? Not like a super deep discussion on that because it's a huge topic, but... No, go for it. If you got like a little history for us, then Yeah. You know, the signs are originally based on constellations. Um, but some of them, like Virgo, is huge. While, like, Scorpio, I think, is actually, like, pretty small. Um, so they weren't, like, even evenly, you know, not all the constellations were the same size. So at some point, like, thousands of years ago, um, like, Mesopotamian periods, like, I think pre-3000 Yeah, I think it was in Mesopotamia where they first, yeah, divided it. Yeah. It's like a, a, into 12 equal sections. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been around for a long time. But then, you know, you get, uh, we're going to get into the difference between tropical and sidereal zodiacs. And I guess, you know, it's probably helpful to know that the zodiac, that word is a way of referring mm. to the signs as well. So it means little, little yeah. animals, I believe, little creatures. Zudaya, moving, uh, moving animals or moving images of animals. Yeah, like images of animals, exactly. It ties into the film mm-hmm. strip analogy. Yeah. Like when the, the Zodiac, when the 12 signs of the Zodiac were originally conceptualized and, you know, the ecliptic was divided into these 12 equal portions, um, you know, they were originally associated with the constellations that fall along the ecliptic. Um, and so when uh, the spring equinox happened every year, the sun would enter the beginning of the sign of Aries. And it would actually be like, you know, in front of the constellation of Aries as a backdrop. Um, but because of a phenomenon known as the precession of the equinoxes, um, the earth kind of wobbles on its axis a little bit. And so where the sun is located at the spring equinox actually changes very slightly over long periods of time. Um, so that now if you are, um, 
using the constellations as your sort of anchor point, um, the sun at the beginning of Aries would actually still be hanging out near the constellation of Pisces. Mm -hmm. Um, But ancient astrologers were aware of this, like the procession of equinoxes was discovered a long, long time ago. And um, the result is that today we, we actually have two different systems of the zodiac, the tropical zodiac, which is tied to the seasons. So regardless of the procession of the equinox, equinoxes, the sun always enters the sign of Aries uh, at the beginning of spring. Um, When you use the sidereal zodiac, that takes the procession of equinoxes into account. So it's a little bit more tied to where the constellations are placed. You even have like debates within the the, um, sidereal zodiac astrology community of like where that beginning point is with Aries, like like the Lahiri Mm -hmm. system and which is like the most popular one, but there's like a bunch of different ones that um, place the beginning of Aries, uh, you know, in some variable range of, I think it's like up to like three or five degrees. But there's like a dozens of different claims to the true beginning of, of the sidereal Aries, which makes it nice to be a tropical astrologer because we keep it yeah, nice and simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's tied to the seasons. And so, you know, every few months, uh, somebody uh, refreshes this controversy. Someone, you know, will will publish a clickbaity article saying that uh, they've officially confounded astrologers. Your your sign is not what you (laughs) thought it was because of the procession of the equinoxes. But astrologers have figured this out for like about 2000 years. So um you just remember that you know your your sun sign is tied to uh the seasonal movements as opposed to what constellation it is precisely in and even like i was saying with the sidereal zodiac because those constellations are all different sizes it's still like you still kind of have to come up with an invented human Mm -hmm. system to figure out where those signs start and stop i think that's that's all i wanted to say about tropical yeah. versus sidereals just to make a brief note of that so people are aware people don't uh become afraid when someone says your son's not really in aries it's in pisces it's like no it's it's still in aries in the tropical yeah. system i mean i yeah i i don't know have you you guys ever like experimented with sidereal a little bit i know i've it's very appealing mm. to me just my chart like so much more dignified and sidereal <laughs> uh, yeah i've looked at my placements before and i immediately just like was appalled because i didn't want to be a libra no offense i have a lot of libra friends no offense i just <laughs> don't feel like a, i just don't feel like a libra so i was like yeah um I'm, I don't feel like an aries moon either so i was like this is this is weird i'm gonna back away not if you're but a scorpio sun yeah I yeah, I think exactly. Scorpio some wants to be a, a Libra. And that's like another conversation because like Libra and Scorpio are next to each other. And like, I've always wondered like, oh, how does like the energy of Libra sit, switch into to Scorpio? And that's another interesting yeah. thing to discuss too, like the Deccans. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Side note, do you have a, you have a Taurus moon then? I have a Taurus moon. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you're a full, you have a full Taurus moon. A full yeah, I'm a full moon yeah, baby. I'm a sun in Taurus yeah. with the moon in Scorpio. So, oh, also full moon and opposite nice. ascendants. Whoa, that's so cool. Mind blown. Yeah, <laughs> wait, that so that would be f- it'd be fifth, fifth and eleventh, then right? Yeah, fifth and eleventh. I have an eleventh house Scorpio stellium and fifth house Taurus moon. Cool. Yeah, 
that Uranus is currently um, running over in the, and backing, house, up, yeah. backing up and then running over yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> Poor Taurus. Yeah. Man. It's like, I just want to relax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've looked at my sidereal chart a few times. I've become more curious about it recently. Uh, I think the first time I looked at it, I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. And then the more I look at it, I'm like, you know, some of the same themes come mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Just it, yeah. things are in different signs and configured a different way, but there's still some really like there are thematic similarities between both charts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, one of one of these days maybe I'll get a, a reading from a sidereal astrologer yeah. and see what they have to yeah, say. Yeah, I will say like I'll never say never. I probably will revisit it again one day. I just like right now I want to focus on learning tropical, but then I probably will revisit it sometime because I feel like I need to be open to other systems. Yeah. It's always the trouble with astrology is that there are so many systems and they're like all good and have like, they're all good in different ways, mm-hmm. but you would be studying for several lifetimes if you tried to master all yeah. of them. So it's like yeah. trying to pick a focus while also being curious about all of yeah, it. Yeah, it's helpful to pick a focus and just stick to that so you can get to make some progress there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at some point you have to just pick, pick a system or an approach and then like get really comfortable with that before you try exploring different systems you know which uh, in theory that's what you're supposed to do i've never i'm terrible with that but <laughs> i thrive in, in chaos apparently but that almost seems like a uh, <laughs> a good segue into talking about how um the signs get their meaning except uh, we have to do rules of science and astrology first never mind yeah what what do, what do the signs do that's so now we're talking about like what is the role of signs in astrology? Is that right? Yeah. What what role yeah. do they play? Yeah. What role do they play in the system? What do they the do in the describe. system? Why, why do we bother with them? Yeah. I think in the, the simplest uh, sense, signs you know describe certain themes and qualities uh, or topics in life, in like kind of the broadest sense. But when you get into <clears throat> a little more deep, deeper astrology, you know, you learn that planets are sort of tied to certain signs that they. You have a certain uh, level of responsibility for them. I believe they're, they're ingirded to them, I believe is the, the terminology used in by the ancient Greeks. Ooh, that sounds serious. It's like being tied, like bound yeah. to something. Yeah, I think the way I've heard a lot of people describe it, um, and I don't remember who came up with this, um, is that the planets are like actors and the signs are the role they play. So mm-hmm. the sign could be like their favorite role, like their typecast role, maybe if they have like, say, mm-hmm. Venus and in Libra, it's like something they're really good at acting. But then like Venus and Scorpio might be something that's like a challenging role yeah. to them. I like to think about it, uh, the signs as almost like the, the genre of film or, or the genre mm-hmm. of the movie that the planets are acting in. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. I tend to, to think of the signs as like how planets mm-hmm. do their thing, like the planet in question you know keep using venus as an example like venus is always going to want to do venus things Mm -hmm. um venus is always going to have venus goals you know venus is always going to want to create harmony and stability and beautify and um you know create works of art and um help sustain uh social connections and all those kinds of things that venus likes to do so no matter what sign venus is in they're trying to do those things, but then the sign that they're in tells you how uh, they do those things or how they're able to. Like, does 
the environment that Venus is in limit their ability to reach those goals? Do they have to kind of um, be creative and how they and how they reach those goals or things do things just kind of come easily to yeah. them the sign can tell you a lot about how they go about uh meeting their ends i guess yeah yeah if you think of venus is you know always trying to do the the venusy things create beauty and harmonize things together you know if it's in mm. uh taurus it's gonna have a really easy time doing that it's like a, a romantic comedy or something like scorpio you know you get like a it's a little more <laughs> yeah. a horror movie like a, or a uh, horror movie. or like a a thriller or something <laughs> yeah like you can still have romance in a horror movie oh, yeah. it's just it's not gonna be um like the most like stereotypically like romantic yeah. thing like a romantic like a tourist you know it's romantic comedy yes yeah. yeah the pathway to a happy ending is a little more challenging mm-hmm. there's a lot of stabbing lot and of like stabbing. blood everywhere <laughs> yeah. but you can still find love oh yeah for sure <laughs> In fact, you know, sometimes that can be the most compelling love story is like even <laughs> in yeah. like, the darkest places, yeah. you know, love will prevail. As so. a Scorpio Venus, that's like my favorite kind of love story. So I know, for all the, the yeah. Taurus planets I have, you know, I was never big into romantic comedies <laughs> for, uh, for a stabby romance. You also have a Scorpio you know, moon. So. Yeah. Stabby yeah. romance. Is, well, we've got the, the Scorpio fifth house too. So, you know, the things that we enjoy yeah. are generally stabby. <laughs> yeah, because the, yeah. the fifth house is like, um, you know, romance, like creativity. Yeah, that makes sense. I Because I associate the fifth house a lot with Venus. Mm-hmm. I think Kyle touched on this too, an important uh, role that signs play is that they, they give the planets responsibilities and places to be. They give the planets homes. So... Um, each each planet rules one or two signs. The the luminaries each rule one sign, and the rest of the planets rule two. And the signs that they are said to rule are called their domiciles, which means home. Um, so it, that also means that um, if a planet is in a sign that is not their own sign, they're essentially a guest in somebody else's home. Mm-hmm. So if we stick with you know Venus as an example. Um, if Venus is in Scorpio, a sign that is ruled by Mars, then Venus is staying over at Mars's house, basically. Mm-hmm. And and so Mars, because Mars rules the sign of Scorpio, that's Mars's domicile. Mars has responsibility for what goes on in Scorpio. And so Mars has responsibilities to Venus in a guest host sort of relationship. Mm-hmm. So when you look at like what sign a planet is in in your chart, if that planet is not in their own sign, it's always a good method of interpretation to look at the planet that does rule that sign and the relationship between them. And that'll give you some more information on, you know, how, how's that planet feeling in your chart and, and what are they trying to do? And, you know, is, is this guest host relationship working? Is it easy? Is it challenging? Does the host planet have enough resources available to them to be able to to provide for the guest that is in their sign and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, to maybe continue with the movie analogy, Venus has like a script, a movie that she wants to make in Scorpio. Uh, Mars is like the like the producer, but like the um, who I don't know, like the CEO of the film company or something like the has to green light the film, like the studio, yeah. like the film. Or choose studio. how much to fund the film, you know. It's going to set the budget for Venus. Yeah. It's going to maybe approve or disapprove certain things getting into the final cut of the movie. Yeah, I like that. All right. Do we have anything else we want to we wanna say about what, uh, what the job of signs is? Mm-hmm. I think that, that gets the gist of it. I'm sure we'll end up mm-hmm. getting more into that to some degree as mm-hmm. we talk about the signs themselves. 
Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So to understand uh, the nature of the signs, it helps to know um, the sort of the building blocks that make up the signs. Cause there's, there's a system of uh, there's a system in place that gives the signs their meaning. They're, they're grouped into, into different groups. Um, and I mean, the, the first and most obvious uh, group that the signs are divided into that will be familiar to most people is that of the four elements. Each of the signs of the Zodiac uh, is associated with one of the four elements. Mm-hmm. So what are the four elements, Tristan? <laughs> well, uh, we've got, actually, I think I'll, I'll introduce the elements using, uh, using Aristotle's uh, yeah. sort of model of, of the elements, which is where we get the, the symbolism of the elements that we use in Western astrology uh, can, can trace its origin, a lot of it to Aristotle's theories, which are like physically incorrect, but still symbolically very resonant. Um, so, you know, Aristotle's model had the, you know, the world being composed of, of four elements, um, and they, their characteristics kind of match with the motion of the sun through the sky. So air, you can associate with the Eastern horizon where things are beginning to rise and then fire, because, you know, the, the thing that is like up highest in the sky is the sun. Like the sun is sort of like the source of fire and the most fiery thing that is visible to us. So fire is like at the highest um, point in the sky. And then water is associated with like the setting place in the Western horizon because water moves downward and it seeks the lowest place and it's like cooling and quieting. So, you know, air is like the beginning of the day when things are getting lively and exciting. And then fire is like the peak of the day when the sun is at its height in the sky and everything is hot and bright and everything is visible. It's easy to see what you're doing. Um, You can be really active. It's, you know, the work day when you're actually doing stuff. And then, you know, the unwinding and relaxing and the sun starting to set, um, you know, that's represented by water. And then, uh, you know, the you know, what Aristotle would have thought of as the densest element that's in the lowest place is earth, which is, you know, heavy and dark. And you, know, you can think of solar midnight, like the depth of the night when things are very cold and dark and very still. That is the sort of earthy time of the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you two have uh, like keywords or associations or things that you have for the for the four elements. Yeah, I often think of the four elements as um, like what kind of traits that they're good at. So, like I think of fire as like being a very active element, um, just having a lot of energy, um, and I think of water as like having a lot of emotional like intelligence. Like it's just like a very flowy, yeah, flowy and watery. Um, makes me think of emotions because it feels like something you can't really grasp, like water. They, they also, the idea of like diving deep, like Scorpio being fixed water, like diving deep into the water and feelings makes sense to me. Um, and then earth, of course, I associate with like, like material possessions and, and like earth signs being really good at doing like physical things in the material world. And air um, is to me associated with like thoughts and ideas, like just like the way that like air signs are always like brimming with ideas and they're like going back and forth um, is like, feels like a very airy quality to me. So I just think about them more symbolically 
Um, that's something a lot of like witchy people do. Like whenever we have rituals, we talk about like the elements, but we also talk about them symbolically, like what they mean in our lives too. Yeah, no, I love that. That's um, I really like to think of, I guess, about like the the nature of those those substances, mm-hmm. um, like water. You know, it's it's uh, it's very movable, kind of like um, air in the sense, but it has like substance and weight, uh, like earth. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like it's heavy yeah. heaviness. You have to carry a jug of water. It's it's uh, it's mm-hmm. a challenging yeah. experience. Kind of like fire is that like they it can alter other things really well. Like you know, water is like the universal solvent. It's also like a great facilitator for chemistry, uh, mm-hmm. for, for organic chemistry even. And you know, the just thinking about like the way that the different elements interact with each other, like in physical real world, you know, you can pull so much out of. The way certain signs interact with each other and certain qualities of different signs. You know, air is like the the most like free flowing really of all of them. Um, Earth is like very solid and and, and stuff you can, you know, feel and touch, taste, um, solid things. Fire. Yeah, exactly. Fire is like a lot of the time very abstract because fire is uh what, what what the hell is fire? It's like a plasma or something. I don't know. It's like not, you can't hold on to fire. <laughs> it's so it, it's a, it, yeah. Fire is like technically a process, right? Like it's not its own thing so much as like it's a a process within the, the, uh, the I don't know. Somebody tell me what fire is because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think of it as light too, which is also hard because like what is light? You know, it's also very. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, the sun is associated with fire too. Mm-hmm. Like um, the sign Leo, which is ruled by the sun, is associated with like fixed fire. Yeah, um, and you can think of the sun as like this big giant ball of fire mm-hmm. um, guiding us. Yeah, yeah. The water being a solvent too, I think, is is an important mm-hmm. quality. Um, Aristotle's theories of the elements, he kind of subdivided them into these four basic qualities of uh, whether an element was hot or cold or wet or dry. Um, And the wet quality, um, which air and water uh, were both wet elements in Aristotle's model. Um, The quality of wetness uh, brings things together, sort of joins things together, whereas the quality of dryness separates things. So I kind of like that because air signs are like in the social realm. They're all about like bringing people Mm -hmm. and ideas together and like communicating. Um, And then water, obviously, like things dissolve in water and they actually like become unified in water. Yeah, but water... Not that we want to focus too much on water itself, but water has a way of breaking <laughs> things down too. Water will will erode things. Yeah. Um, so will air. Yeah, I think all of the elements yeah. can have like some kind of creative and destructive power. Like fire is the one the most obvious to me, but they they all certainly can. Yeah. Yeah. You think of like landslides for mm-hmm. Earth, and you know tornadoes and windstorms for air and tidal waves and stuff for water they're all like they have a lot of destructive potential in them yeah yeah climate change has climate change has definitely shown us that yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's like there i feel like even though you know we know that the the world is not literally made of these four components you know we have the periodic table of the elements we know what the world's literally made of it's still like 
we can see these symbols like as symbols of nature and nature's power really viscerally still like you know when the when the sun is in your eyes uh when you're trying to like drive home during you know just before sunset and you like your eyes are burning and you can't see it's like you feel the power of yeah. fire <laughs> you know uh, yeah speaking of fire you should read what you just typed bonnie that's really good oh yeah, i didn't i didn't awesome. type it it's from wikipedia oh well you can still just read it because i want to um think it was making my point that the fire is uh, oh yeah so yeah according to wikipedia fire is the rapid oxidation of a material the fuel in the exothermic chemical process of combustion releasing heat light and various reaction products yeah um i'm not going to read all of it but i think what it said here was the flame is the visible portion of the Mm -hmm. fire flames consist primarily of carbon dioxide water vapor oxygen and nitrogen ah ah so it has like all the different elements within uh, it yeah in a sense if hot enough the if hot enough the gases may become ionized to produce plasma ah yes okay that's really interesting because it's yeah like fire is almost it's it's like a process um but really draws on the other elements to create that process you know mm-hmm. it's almost like not a thing in itself it needs to be fed it needs to be fed yeah yeah, it's like it's hungry. There's yeah. a hunger to fire. Like it, as you know, somebody whose house is heated by a wood stove. Um, Your whole house is heated by a wood stove. Yeah, I mean, we do we do have um, electric heat, but we don't use it very much because um, heat is yeah. expensive. So uh, it's mostly the wood stove. And it was funny because I had uh, a couple of friends who were visiting recently and they were thinking of bringing some firewood and they were thinking like oh we'd we'd bring like one or two logs and we go through like 15 logs yeah. a day it's that that thing is hungry and if it doesn't con- if it's not constantly fed it fizzles out i think uh might be worth noting too that um you know if people are learning a little bit more of the traditional schools of astrology they might run into the word triplicities um sometimes being used to describe the elements because there are four elements and 12 signs. So there are three signs of each element. And so that will be a triplicity. So, you know, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius as the three fire signs is the fire Mm -hmm. triplicity. And the triplicities also have planetary rulers as well, um, which, you know, we don't necessarily have to discuss right now, but if people are, are interested in that, that's another thing to look into. Look up the, the triplicity rulers and uh, you'll see that the the daytime <clears throat> planets rule the elements of air and fire, and the nighttime mm. planets rule over the uh, elements of earth and water. Yeah, yeah, and that's like another way to refer to the signs. Because some people use like the term feminine and masculine, and other people, um, like I think it's you know can be kind of limiting. So I kind of like that having diurnal and nocturnal as a way to describe the signs. Yeah, I also like diurnal yeah. and nocturnal. Yeah, because I do get a really different vibe from like earth and water as opposed to like fire and air. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, masculine and feminine can be kind of limiting. Yeah, which is maybe mm-hmm. an important, I don't think we said it already, an important, uh, another way to distinguish the signs. Uh, one of the maybe main qualities of each sign is that either that yin or yang quality or that diurnal or nocturnal, or some people say masculine mm-hmm. or feminine, and which would be the, uh, the fire and air signs are the diurnal signs and the nocturnal signs are the uh, earth and water. Yeah. I've also seen people say inward and outward. Um, 
like fi- fire mm-hmm. and air, the mi- more diurnal signs yeah. or more outward, like kind of considered more ex- extroverted, if you, if you will. And then the nocturnal signs um, and earth and water um, are considered more inward because yeah. they're a little bit more introverted in some ways, mm-hmm. or they can be. Active and receptive. Yeah. Yeah. That's another distinction. Yeah. Which one is, is like, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about painting, you know, what is the paintbrush and what is the canvas? The paintbrush is like fire and air and the canvas and the, like to the raw materials that you're using to paint with are like water and, and earth. And then all of them together actually make a creation yeah. of some kind. Yeah. While I don't generally like to use the masculine and feminine, um, distinction, uh, cause it can be a little simplistic. It's, I do think about, um, <clears throat> Uh, ancient human migratory patterns uh, is uh, now that we have like genetic research, we're able to like study um, migratory patterns of humans uh, throughout history. And what one thing they figured out was that they were able to like basically do history by tracking the chromosomal like movement patterns. So like they found that, you know, you'd get the Y chromosome kind of floating around different places because men would uh, go out and raid other countries. They would um, sometimes settle down and they would marry local women and you know their DNA would get intermingled with the population that way. But when a like a raiding group or whatever would decide like, oh yeah, we want to live here now, they would bring the women. Like when the Vikings were invading England for a good hundred couple hundred years, they were just raiding England and sometimes settling down, but uh, eventually, they started bringing women and started setting up settlements, and that's when like Viking culture started to integrate with English culture. Um, so, when you think about, not that I always use the feminine masculine designation for the, the signs, they're you know useful up to the point that they can help you understand the signs to some degree, but you can get hung up on it. Um, but just thinking about like the traditionally feminine uh, signs, the earth and water, like the substance of the land, you know, is earth and water and it is more stable. It's more centered and substantive. And, uh, well, the air, the traditionally masculine signs, they're, they're out moving around fire, air, mm. kind of like yeah, all over the moving around, uh, changing things here and there, messing things up over here, you know, stabbing people yeah. over there. Like um. <laughs> that's, that's another air. Like I associate um, the element of air with like the entero cards, like the, the swords. So, Oh that, yeah. Yeah. It's really fitting, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it, yeah. That kind of makes sense in some ways. Cause like, if you're going to settle to a place, like you need a source of water, you need like mm-hmm. stable land to like grow things. So yeah. Yeah. Earth and water are very stable and like, very comforting in that way. And there's signs that have like lasting, um, they tend to like signify things that are more permanent, more, more lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about, yeah, it's, uh, groups, you know, if they're going to come and stay, they're bringing women with them historically. Yeah. That's super interesting. I'm just thinking of like settlers of Catan now <laughs> and like, you know, the, when you've got your sheep and, and all of your mm-hmm. like different, resource tiles and stuff that's very much like the earth side of things and you know you're trying to hold on to those and not have them like not not lose them because that is like the the source of stability for Mm -hmm. all of your plans it's like the foundation of all of your plans yeah i I have 
only played Catan once, and it was uh, friends who are really into gaming. The basement is, is totally designated for board games and, and different games. They made a, a full, like a huge Catan board that took up half the basement. So they made like the giant hexagons. Um, they're like oh this my God. big. Yeah, I love yeah. it. So you can actually like walk yeah, you can walk around and you place your over, pieces. You can see how the the land is transforming, yeah. and it was cool. That's really cool. Um, did we also want to talk about modalities of the signs? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to get us started? Um, you go over what they are. Yeah, there are three different um, modalities, cardinal, fixed, and mutable, and they they frame like um, the different parts of a season. So the signs kind of tell a story of the seasons, um, spring through summer, through fall, through winter, and cardinal, fixed, and mutable kind of tell that story, like how, how we're transitioning in that season. Um, so since there are three modalities, there's four signs for each modality. So for example, the cardinal signs, they start off a season. So Aries in spring, Cancer in summer, starting off summer, Libra starting off fall, um, and Capricorn starting off winter. This is, of course, for the northern hemisphere. And the southern hemisphere would be reverse. So that's something to keep in mind. And then fixed signs are kind of holding down the season. So they're like the very middle of the season when you like really associate like spring with spring. Um, that would be like the fixed sign. So Taurus for spring, uh, Leo for the summer. And then Aquarius for the winter. And then for the mutable signs, they're the ones that change things up. They're the ones that are kind of like more scattered and they kind of represent that transitional period where like, it's like, it doesn't feel like winter. Does it feel like spring? And so the mutable signs are um, Gemini, Gemini for spring, Virgo for summer. Um, it's like kind of that in-between period of summer to fall. And then you have, uh, Sagittarius for autumn to winter, and then you have Pisces for winter to to spring. Yeah, that's that's. I, I mean, just from the their position within the season, you get a sense of what those three modalities are about. Where you know, cardinal is that sort of initiating energy. In Hellenistic astrology, those signs were referred to as tropical. Tropical means to turn, so it refers to movable. So. Uh, the cardinal, both, it's interesting, both the cardinal and the mutable signs are about change in different ways. Mm. Um, so really, uh, it's only one third of the zodiac that is about stability. <laughs> Big signs. <laughs> Holding yeah. it together. Because mostly down. change. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the cardinal signs are changeable. Um, and you know, that's, that's a quality that you'll see with uh, all four of the cardinal signs is that they're they're in motion, they're getting things started, and they are frequently subject to change. And then the fixed signs are more about uh, stabilizing things, things being steady and still and unchanging. And the mutable signs uh, were referred to as double-bodied signs by the Hellenistic astrologers. Uh, which I really love because I never really totally got the difference between cardinal and mutable mm -hmm. until I started thinking of them as the, the dual natured mm -hmm. signs. Like Bonnie already said, they're, they're the transition between two seasons. So it's like cardinals about change, but it's like very clear when the sun moves into Aries, it's like spring is here. Whereas when the sun is in Pisces, it's like, is it winter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it spring? It's hard to tell, you know? So it's, yeah. um, and those, those signs tend to be, 
represented symbolically by a dual natured symbol. So like Gemini is the twins. That's a really obvious one. Pisces is represented by two fish swimming in opposite directions. Sagittarius and Virgo are not as noticeable, um, but their symbols are dualistic where Virgo is often depicted as an angel. So half earthy and half celestial, like the wings and the human body. Um, and then Sagittarius is half human, half animal. So there's like a duality yeah. there. Of so two when, natures. when the Hellenistic astrologers. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I think of kind of one difference, I think of Cardinal immutable is that Cardinal is kind of changing a lot, but it's like kind of picking a direction. Like we're going in this direction. Yeah. Whereas mutable, I, I see as more like a little bit scattered, a little bit everywhere, which is um, yeah, I definitely see that in like the end of a season, like the end of winter going to spring. Like sometimes I feel like it's spring. Sometimes I feel like it's winter. Um, but for Cardinal, I do feel like more of this like push of, okay, we're going in this direction. A lot of people I know of a lot of Cardinal placements are really good at starting projects <laughs> and initiating them. And then we'll like start something else. Um, whereas <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm more, <laughs> I'm more of a fixed sign person and I don't like starting anything, but I will like stabilize a program and like fix things and perfect it and like make it like more fit more the integrity of like what was started. If that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. I like that word integrity. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Like signs like, mm-hmm. uh, like, think of it as like forming the spine of something. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to think about the, like an animal, yeah. like uh, the head might be the cardinal sign and like the, the spine, the body, like the structure, like the main yeah. trunk of the being is like the fixed sign and uh, the mutable is like the, the arms, the legs. Yeah. That fits because Gemini rules the hands and the arms mm-hmm. too. And it's like kind of the quintessential mutable yeah. sign. <laughs> Yeah, like I like to think of it as like the cardinal signs like are kind of starting something off and they have this like great idea and then they're like, okay, bye, I'm passing off to you. And the fixed mm-hmm. signs are like, oh, wait, oh, hold on. I need to like tweak this. And, and it's like, okay, we are we are spring right now. We are fully spring. Mm-hmm. And like, there's nothing, we're not changing. We're not doing anything. And then when it's, you know, then it's handed off to Mutable and Mutable's like, hey, come on, let's go in this other direction and try some like new ideas. Mm-hmm. The uh, Hellenistic astrologers would often... Um, as an interpretive principle with the mutable signs, if a planet was in a mutable sign, it indicated two of whatever was indicated. So like, for example, if you've got, you know, Mercury and Gemini in your third house, you've got a, a planet in a mutable sign in the house that's associated with siblings, they would say, well, you'll yeah. have two siblings. Hmm. So that kind of, that kind of thing. So Twins. how you apply that to maybe more, uh, internal experiences or states can can be really interesting and fun when you're being a little less like concrete and literal with it like what what is that experience of being in two places at once like or having like more than one of something yeah mutable signs are like the best at multitasking um Mm -hmm. they're also like good at facilitating change like they can handle two disparate things at the same time like i'm you know i'm a pretty fixed person and i really hate uh, i'm like a like to get on my track and stay on my track and if i have to switch tracks all the time i get really frustrated and stressed out uh which i'm not like mutable (laughs) enough to to adapt to new circumstances very suddenly like i you know i can but (laughs) it's just it's like turning a ship (laughs) as opposed to turning a corvette yeah, big signs just like to go deeper into whatever it yeah. is. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Just diving deeper and deeper and deeper, deeper into and deeper. one thing. Yeah. And then they could, they could just keep going forever and ever and immutable. Settling a groove. And then mutable signs are like, okay, we're going to do something else here. Like, we need to get you away from this. Yeah. I think uh, 
the the sort of uh, chronological order is important too because you know cardinals initiating mm-hmm. but mutable is closure mm-hmm. it's like tying up loose ends and finishing something it's like the end of something you need the beginning the middle and the end and i find that like as a very cardinal person which is like i've got just enough fixed in my chart but not very much mutable so like I, I need mutable caretakers in my life who can help me like actually finish things. I find the really mutable people in my life tend to actually be mm. good at at the end stage of things or like that sort of transitional stage where one thing is ending and then we're heading in a in a different direction in the future kind of thing. I am I am not so good at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cardinal signs are while they do get the reputation for initiating and, and they definitely are and do do that. Cardinal signs are good for like starting things, but also just ending, like just ending it while like a mutable sign will wrap things up and bring them Mm -hmm. to like the settling place. The cardinal sign needs to like chop it. This is the Mm. end. Cut. Now it's done, which is like signaled by like the new season. Now, you know, that season's over. This is the new one. Yeah, that's true. Whereas mutable is more like kind of like, you know, like you said, Tristan, like tying up loose ends. But yeah, it could also be like a good way to find closure. Um, like the mutable like sign is kind of showing us like, okay, what did we learn from this season? And like, how is it, Mm. how is it going to feed into this next season? Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Before I knew more about like traditional astrology and I just knew like kind of more pop astrology of, Oh, like Tauruses are like this and Scorpios are like that. I, um, I was always wondering like, why are they like that? And now like learning like the elements and the modalities, it's like, oh, I can see this as like a story of the seasons and all the signs are kind of telling that story. And there's like this mm-hmm. transition from one sign to the next and different energies. Like I think of each sign is just like a different vibe. And it's like interesting to see like how we transition to each one throughout the year. Yeah. And I think it like, it really grounds astrology because we think of astrology as being about the stars and I mean, astro literally means star. So, you know, it's, it is divining by the stars, but it's also like, it's really divining by nature as a whole. Mm. And the elements and modalities really tie the signs to the earth where, you know, the signs are like floating in the, in the sky around us. But, um, you know, the elements are like what we actually physically and mentally and emotionally interact with. And then, you know, the modalities are tied to the seasons and, you know, the cycle of light and darkness and the cycle of, of changing seasons and uh, how that is expressed in nature around us. It creates um, a lot of opportunity for you to get in touch with your local uh, flora and fauna and climate and seasons, because like what Uh, when the sun moves into Capricorn and winter begins in my part of the world is going to be very different from what happens when the sun moves into Capricorn in another part of the world. And so like my understanding of the sign of Capricorn is really tied to like what happens in my geographical area. What, you know, in, in the spring, when the sun moves into Aries, like what plants uh, actually start popping up out of the ground in my area, it's going to be different from somewhere else. And so there's like, you get to kind of have a unique understanding of the signs if you pay attention to the times of the year when the sun is in those signs and what's actually like going on for you locally. Like the um, way you said, Tristan, like I think, you know, learning astrology in a really embodied way, like through the seasons, like through like noticing what what is um, in your backyard, like what's out in nature is really important. Mm-hmm. I think before we we wrap up the sort of preliminary stuff, 
there is one small thing I wanted to just briefly mention um, in case people are interested in doing a super, super deep dive into the signs. <laughs> which is in every that bound there are, of the Zodiac. <laughs> so. Well, you can you can pick up uh, the anthology of Vadius Valens and find an interpretation of every mm-hmm. single yeah, bound yeah. if you are so inclined, which I actually have been doing mm-hmm. lately for fun because they're very interesting. But uh Something that uh, doesn't get used as much in modern astrology, but was used heavily throughout all of the different um, schools of traditional astrology, all the way from Hellenistic up to the Renaissance period, were these uh, subdivisions of the signs. And uh, the two major ones uh, that were used were the bounds, um, which you'll also see referred to as the terms, and the other one is the deacons. So the bounds divide each sign into unequal uh, portions of five. Um, and each of those little portions is ruled by a planet. Um, and the the system that was used most commonly in Hellenistic astrology, which is what I learned, um, comes from, they were, they were called the Egyptian bounds. Um, and they can be conceptualized as being sort of like the rooms in a house. So if you think of a sign as being like the home base of a particular planet, the bounds are like the individual rooms in that house. And so like, you know, you might have say Venus is in Scorpio, so she's in Mars's home and it's like kind of an awkward place for Venus to be in, but Venus might be in Venus's bound or mm-hmm. Jupiter's bound within uh, Mars's home. When the USO comes to the military camp, the do the performances for <laughs> yeah. the soldiers or something. Like, mm. It's like a, a place. Yeah, that's a good way. That environment, even if it's like a sign they're not, it's not comfortable with, it has like a, a job there or a role that, that is more suitable. Yeah, that's that's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, the like performer who comes to the military base is like Venus, you know, being in Venus is bound in, in Mars's sign. Um, and the other subdivision uh, that has been used commonly is uh, the deacons, which divide all of the signs into three equal parts. And I know those get used a lot in uh, combining astrology and tarot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really use them very much. They originated with um, the ancient Egyptians would keep track of uh, stars uh, rising and setting and associated different little parcels of the sky which you, with each of those stars. So I think that system um, eventually developed into the deacons in Hellenistic astrology. So if, if you're at all curious about um, getting into like the absolute minutia, <laughs> you know, take the signs and cut them apart into even smaller details because Why you wouldn't haven't you? enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a way to um, cast your chart on astro.com that shows those subdivisions. So I'll leave a link in the show notes in case you're curious to research more and want to look at uh, where those uh, show up in your chart, what bounds and deacons the planets in your chart are in. Yeah. I'll add on that note real quick. Uh, common practice in Vedic astrology is like they'll divide the, the whole zodiac up by different numbers. So like you might have the moon in uh, Taurus in the regular zodiac, but if you divide it by uh, by like nine, you know, it might be in uh, Scorpio. So you might have like a hidden moon problem of some kind or, uh, you know, and in Hellenistic astrology, they had the dodecomoris, right? 
which is the divisions of the zodiac. Oh, the twelve. The yeah, 12 the twelve parts, parts mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I do, I do not use those at all, <laughs> but I'm aware of their existence. I'm getting more interested in them. They're interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, different like systems of astrology, you know, use that in different ways. And, you know, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of different like ways to, to slice and dice the, the Zodiac if you're yeah. inclined. Yeah. And I like that because it's um, just like another way to see like the transition of that, the energy of those signs. Like I I was thinking about that with like Sagittarius season transitioning to Capricorn. If you look at the Deccans, like, and it kind of tells a story of like, you know, the beginning of Sagittarius is very different from like the end of Sagittarius season. Yeah. Like, the beginning of yeah. Sagittarius season is very like jovial and like, look, I'm so mm-hmm. excited. And it's like this time where, you know, there's a lot of joy and uh, jubilance, but then the end of Sagittarius season is a little bit more like, like you're finishing a race mm-hmm. and you're running out of steam mm-hmm. and you can kind of see how that is transit that transitions like perfectly into Capricorn season where it's like, okay, it's cold or, you know, maybe it's like really hot where you are and it's like, you're exhausted and you need to just like gather up your resources and start to just like build something and, you know, create something so that you can survive through the season. Yeah. Like the party's over. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a very different energy from like the beginning of of the sign to the end. It just like it kind of like paints a, a story for each sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Well, it's even with the deacons, it's nice because it's like uh, the year, like each season is divided into three by the signs. Mm-hmm. Like there are four seasons divided into three, and then each sign is further divided into three by the deacons. So yeah. you get like the three parts of a season, and then you get the three parts of the sign within that season. So what's really nice yeah. about the number 12 is you can divide it uh, a lot of different ways. Divided by fours, mm-hmm. divided by threes, divided by twos. It's a very divisible number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we added a 13th yeah. zodiac sign, I would do that. <laughs> yeah, no. That <laughs> <laughs> would ruin everything. No, we're not doing it. We're not accepting any other zodiacs. <laughs> no yeah. applications yeah. will be accepted. <laughs> yeah, it's like we you know we're doing our best to try to like make our existence feel somewhat orderly, but it's yeah. not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Introduce this chaotic element into our nicely ordered system. Yeah. Well, with that, are we ready to dive into the signs themselves? Heck yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna approach the signs in a bit of an unusual way and uh, present them uh, by their pairings as sister signs um, because each sign has an opposite and they sort of exist on mm-hmm. a spectrum. Um, and it, it helps to understand the signs by contrasting them a little bit with their opposite signs. Yeah, I think it was a brilliant idea, Tristan. And I think that you can really highlight the differences. You can understand something more when you're looking at what the opposite thing is. But at the same time, these yeah. axes, like they represent almost like different sides of the same coin. They have like themes that tie in together. Um, they have things in common even, but they're just approaching it from like opposite directions in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sort of, I always think of like red and green are opposites on a color wheel, mm-hmm. um, but they are both fundamentally colors. Whereas <laughs> red and square are totally mm. different categories. So the the things that are in opposition to one another actually do have quite a lot in common, which is why I like the term sister yeah. signs yeah. a lot. Well, think of like a coin, you know, you don't have a whole coin without both sides. Mm, yeah, I like that. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you really can't have, like when you get down to the sister signs, you can't have one without the other, even though they, yeah. might, they might disagree with each other, they're, they still need each other. Yeah. They define each other. Absolutely. Balance each other to some degree. Well, on the topic of balance, 
Yeah, who's the most yeah. Aries? <laughs> who's the most Aries? Uh, yeah, that would be me. Yeah, us, I think Tristan, Tristan is, is the most qualified. The most Aries, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got uh, the Sun and Mercury in the tenth house in Aries, so there's no hiding them. There's no place to hide my Aries placements as <laughs> as much as I might want to try as a Cancer <laughs> rising to not yes being called out to not be seen. <laughs> Not be confrontational. Yeah. No, I'm, I am not the most confrontational person. And yet here I am with two planets in Aries. So, you know, based on that alone, we can we can say that Aries is about confrontation. Mm. Aries and Libra are our sister signs. They're opposites. Um, Aries, you know, as we've gone over, is the spring equinox. The sun goes into Aries at the beginning of spring. Um, you know, where I am in the northern hemisphere, the snow starts to melt and things start to grow. And so you get a little bit of uh, the symbolism potentially from from that process of sort of light and life uh, and heat returning to the earth and things breaking out of the ground, which is like you know Aries is is a Mars ruled sign, so it's it's a um, it's associated with war and uh, you know spiky ouchy things <laughs> and you know as Dang. as much sta- stabby things and. Uh, as much as you know, we look forward uh, in colder climates to the beginning of spring. It is kind of violent when you think about it. Stuff just like popping out of the ground, just like literally breaking the earth apart uh, in order to survive. So that that's the sort of Aries impulse. Is like I'm going to break through this mm. barrier, and I am here now, and I am alive. And then on the opposite side of things, you know, you've got Libra at the beginning of fall. Um, which is about balance and compromise and recognizing that like, um, you know, the world is not just about me. There are other, other people in this world too, who I need to uh, work together with. So there's sort of a, a movement away from like the self focus of Aries towards this other focus of Libra. Yeah. Tristan, you've given me a whole yeah. new way of thinking of spring as like violence. So thank you. I, I also think <laughs> It's the violent reemergence of life. I think the pollen season is also very violent. Oh, yeah. Yes. Here. Well, and oh, it yeah. was traditionally the beginning of um, the campaigning season for, mili- you know, traditional militaries. That's when, you know, you would break out camp and you would start stabbing, you know, your enemies <laughs> with your whatever pointies you had and, <laughs> and laying siege to their, their cities and, and burning everything. Yeah. I also think about how, like, if you think about the beginning of spring, like after, you know, going through a long winter, um, like winter is a really a time when like people, like, especially in more ancient times had to like, you know, make their resources last and like survive through this really cold climate. And then now you have things warming up. So like now you have, now you can actually burn things more, like you can burn some of that energy. Um, like, cause you, it's not as right. it's not as scarce yeah. anymore. So you can go out and like pillage or you know start wars because you're <laughs> you're able to like you have more energy to do that. Yeah, you think uh, back then you would have been um, cooped up, you know, in your your hut or cabin, you know, all winter drinking your bread, just kind of surviving. Um, but you got to be like really pent up, really you know ready to get out there. And then like once the ice starts to thaw, you know, then you get out there and you can start hunting again. You can start planting crops. You can start things again, all the things that you've been dreaming of maybe in the yeah. season. Mm. Hmm. But maybe uh, something I wanted to do for all of the, the signs is talk a bit about um, some of their kind of the basic elements like uh, Aries is the, it's the diurnal home of Mars. <clears throat> 
and the exaltation of the sun. So, and I feel like these things will tell you a lot about the signs themselves. While uh-huh. uh, Libra is the domicile, the daytime domicile of Venus, um, and the exaltation of Saturn. Similarly, um, Aries is the fall of Saturn and the detriment of Venus, while uh, Libra is the fall of the sun and the detriment of Mars, or the exile of Mars. So they're, you know, very much the opposite of each other in that sense. And yet they're all, in a lot of ways defined by, by each other. And the, both of the Mars-Venus signs oppose each other. Yeah. Love and war. Yeah. And yet they're inherently tied together. Yeah, they need each other. You, mm-hmm. Like you, yeah, they definitely need each other. Well, there's not there's not much worth fighting for without Venus, right? Like mm-hmm. there's nothing for Mars to fight for um, if there isn't something of value, uh, something that is loved to defend. Well, yeah. How do you, um, uh, you know, Mars is like a warrior. Mars signifies warriors and fighting. But how do you make an army with Venus? You know, how do you combine warriors into a fighting force? You know, you make them love each other. You make them care about each other. You teach them to cooperate. You teach mm-hmm. them to follow rules, mm-hmm. the exaltation of Saturn, Libra, uh, and um, set themselves aside, you know, set their, their personal ego aside. Because Aries, on the one hand, is, is very self-determined. It's very self-oriented and goal-oriented, you know. It wants to achieve for itself based on its own desires, while Libra is a much more other-focused. It's, um, think of like self-determination versus compromise. You know, you can even get like hierarchy versus equality. You know, the sun is kind of the the king of the planets, right? Center Mm -hmm. everything. Mars, you know, will take things by force. Um, while Saturn levels the playing field, it's the it's the everyman, and it's death, like the great equalizer. Nobody escapes; mm-hmm. we're all equal in the face of death. Which yeah. is Saturn is the Grim Reaper, mm-hmm. and it's an important quality of Libra. I think that people tend to miss. Yes. There's there is a dark side to Libra. It's yes. the beginning of fall. It's the the fading of light. It's actually like it's a it's a pretty spooky sign in a way. And it is. Saturn yeah. Saturn likes being there. Yeah. Yeah. You Libras are more spooky than you're trying to fool us, but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Libra is the sign of justice too. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's why like Libra is a sign that wants you know people to cooperate is because there's that realization that you can't get to justice without hearing everyone's input and not everyone, there isn't going to be like, a there can't be a decision that pleases everyone. And that's just, that's just um, the, you know what it is, and I think Libra understands that, but wants to try to find more about like what everyone wants, so that I can that we can come to a consensus. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's got me thinking a bit about because you know you you get uh, Libra at the beginning of fall, you know when um, the growing season has ended, you know, and you got to start thinking about like the future. You got to start thinking about who's going to get what, you know, what's fair, fair distribution of things. But uh, you get like themes of scarcity, even. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about scarcity is it requires you to, that's actually when you need to most cooperate with others to kind of uh, pull your resources together. But it's also when people freak out and, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. start uh, yeah, attacking each other. Yeah, I kind of think of Libra in the beginning of fall um, as being like a sign that kind of realizes that, but it's like, okay, let's, mm-hmm. let's be calm. Like, 
we can't like lose our cool. Like mm-hmm. we have to get through this together. Um, yeah. And so there's that kind of like peacemaking quality of like, let's not fight each other. We have, and if we're going to survive, we have to do it together. And that means we all have to try to get along. Yeah. And we have to set ourselves, our own personal desires aside to some degree. Yeah. It's not all fun and rainbows for Libra. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, also just like understanding the reality, but trying to make the best of it. Yeah. I also like to think about like, um, you know, Aries has a, a bit of a, an authoritarian streak, you know, makes me think of like dictators not that everybody with Aries is a, is a dictator, you know, <laughs> but it's, you know, sort of. Excuse me. <laughs> no, totally. It's the king, right? Yeah. It's like a solar symbol. Aries mm-hmm. is, is the king. Kings liked, uh, you know, like like their armies too. But, uh, you know, Libra is, makes you think of like democracy, you know, uh, rule, rule by consent, rule by majority, ideals of like equality, you know, making sure everybody is treated fairly. But there is uh, Aries, with it being the exaltation of the sun, it should bring out the best qualities of the sun, mm-hmm. has the, the potential to. Um, so it, there is a, a nobility to Aries that comes up a lot in Greek literature. Aries wants to be a hero. I yeah. think that's because it's ruled by Mars. Um, you know, if you look at sort of stereotypical pop astrology descriptions of Aries, you get a lot of the, you know, being argumentative and confrontational and, you know, selfish and me first and aggressive and Mm -hmm. angry and all that kind of stuff. But it is the exaltation of the sun and the sun is like the center of light and warmth in the universe. And Mm -hmm. if you look at like ancient texts about Aries, it's often described in a way not dissimilar to Leo, where it's you know, the, this is the hero or like the good benevolent king or, you know, the one who creates a sort of a life center for for other people. Um, so I think there's like, especially with the sun in Aries, a real uh, idealistic streak, like mm-hmm. wanting, um, you know, to be the rescuer or the leader in like a really positive way, wanting to lift other people up and that like, that there's a a little piece of wisdom, I think, in in both Aries and Leo, um, you know, which have those similar solar qualities. That when you let your light shine, um, other people have permission to shine theirs as well. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. um, it's like this is why representation in the media is so important because if you're you know part of a group that never sees yourself represented in your culture, you feel invisible and you don't have any role models or examples of um, you know, how to, to live your best life and reach your potential. But when you see people like you who are in uh, places where they're very visible, I think Aries has a lot to do with visibility, just being seen. Mm. When you see people like yourself in these very visible, very public places, you're like, oh, I can, I can be me. It's safe to be me. And there's an example I can follow. Yeah, I think that the symbols maybe start to blend or you start to find more commonality yeah. between Libra and Aries and like, you know, Aries on its own. You can't really be the hero without an audience or, you know, without mm-hmm. people to rescue, without being part of a, a group or without a higher ideal to um, achieve for. And you, you know, you really need others involved in that story. You know, it can't be all about you in that sense. And you think about Mars, like on the one hand is like the, the marauding take what you want villain, but uh, on like a nobler side, it's it's the knight, you know, who will sacrifice themselves for mm-hmm. for others, for the damsel in distress. And then like Libra can be a lot 
spikier, I think, than people. Uh, the iron hand and the velvet glove. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. The iron hand and the velvet glove. I like to think of, you know, Justice's sword, too, and like the, mm-hmm. the tarot card. Mm. I think that, you know, what Libra will fight for is the fairness. It'll stand for that. It'll stand for justice. That will like rankle Libra, I think, is, is when yeah. it sees, identifies injustice, uh, you might start to see the the teeth come out. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is where we're starting to see the two energies merge um, mm-hmm. with Aries and Libra because they really, like those energies need each other. I think the overall theme for me with Aries and Libra is about connection. It's like, yeah, it's a very social, like that. That those two sister signs are very social. I also think of um, where Aries is like integrating more of Libra is when someone is like a leader, but they're also teaching others leadership. So like maybe mm-hmm. they have like a very, like they're very solar and they have an idea and they really want to execute it, but they also realize that other people have ideas too. And maybe they see, or maybe they see the potential in other people. So they like help encourage them or help them um, become a leader in their own right. And that's where you Mm -hmm. kind of see like some Libra qualities come into the Aries archetype, not to get it all muddled, but that is kind of like, you know, when you're looking at a spectrum, there is like somewhere in the middle. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you couldn't like if you had like a just a huge airy stellium, I don't think there's any way you could live that or embody that without confronting the qualities of, of Libra. You know, if you're an Aries rising, you have Libra on your descendant mm. and funny how you uh, some people, no one I know in particular, uh, ends up, you know, the rising sign of your partner um, sometimes is, is seemingly often is the, the sign of your descendant. It's, I mean, you find yourself like seeking those, those people out, you know, mm-hmm. seeking others mm-hmm. that, that will complement and contrast. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So don't, don't, don't shy away from your sister signs. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I'm thinking about right now, the Mars Venus axis with Libra um, and Aries, but you get the, the sun and Saturn axis as well, because the exaltation mm-hmm. of Saturn, Libra, exaltation of the sun, Aries. But then when you get to the other Mars, Venus axis, Taurus and Scorpio, you get the exaltation of another luminary in Taurus, where it falls in Scorpio. And, uh, you know, everybody hates Scorpio, so nothing exalts there, but. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm so offended by that. <laughs> <laughs> we all have uh, complicated planets in, in Scorpio. So <laughs> Yeah, that's true. We we do, don't we? <laughs> but uh, it's kind of got me thinking about the Mars Venus. Um, I don't know. Maybe just to say a bit about Mars and Venus and the sort of complementary opposing qualities of them. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, there's there's an interesting. Um, I I love the relationship between Mars and Venus. I'm really obsessed with it because in you know the most traditional sense it's not supposed to be good which is funny because like in modern astrology we think you know that that venus and mars go together and that that's like a really sexy combination whereas in ancient astrology it's like you don't really want mars anywhere near venus (laughs) um but at the same time like in mythology aphrodite and aries were famously lovers and were irresistibly attracted to one another um, but were also forbidden lovers and so had to uh, challenge the status quo of their respective cultures to um, be together. Um, and when you look 
at the world around you, you will find so many examples of Venus and Mars married together. Like tattoos are one example that I think of where Venus is about, uh, you know, beauty and, and art and um, aesthetics. And Mars is about pointy, stabby metal things. Mm. Um, and a tattoo gun is like Mars and Venus being married. Like a lot of, there are a lot of things that we do um, for the sake of art or beauty that are also like very painful. There are all these like ways that these two things go together. And I think that's, you know, something yeah. funny about both the Aries Libra axis and the Taurus Scorpio axis is this sort of like relationship between pleasure and pain and beauty and harshness mm-hmm. and how often we actually see those things paired in nature, like roses are another prime example where, you know, the the rose flower is a symbol of, you know, Venus and of Libra and Taurus. And then the thorns mm-hmm. uh, that the rose carries are very Martian. They're meant to like protect yeah. it. So you've got that like Venus represents everything that is sort of like precious and beautiful. And Mars mm-hmm. is actually the force that protects it and, you know, prevents it mm-hmm. from being harmed. Yeah. I mean, I really relate to that as a pole dancer um, and any kind of like aerial activity, I think is like, um, you know, it's associated with beauty, but, you know, it's also very painful, like, you know, pole dancing around a metal pole, like you get a lot of bruises, you need a lot of strength um, to be able to execute moves like safely and to make it look beautiful. So there's like this combination Mm -hmm. of like Mars and Venus coming together for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. But yeah, and like the physical activity, which is, you know, another another trait that is assigned to Aries is like physical mm-hmm. energy and vitality and like exercise and weightlifting and dance is such a nice like combination of those archetypes where you get sort of like the grace and artistry of Venus with the like raw physical power yeah. of ours. Yeah, Venus, uh, particularly Venus and like Libra, I mean, will go out and, you know, seek you know, new social context, new interesting things to do, new fun things to do. But Venus is not very exercise oriented. It's 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 pretty it's pretty loungy. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wants to. It's pretty chill. Relax. It's very relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I think if, uh, if most people in modern society know that if you're doing all Venus all the time, you're not going to look very Venus. <laughs> you know, you need a little bit of Mars. Yeah, you need you need some Mars. That, yeah. Venus. Yeah. Ener- energy and relaxation are good keywords for the Aries Libra axis mm. where Aries is is high energy and you know Libra is uh, more about socializing and relaxing and then the visibility and invisibility is another big part of that polarity where Aries is super visible and like out in the open and center stage um, and Libra, is more like in the background, like more comfortable, perhaps playing like more supportive roles or, you know, isn't necessarily uh, the most comfortable with the limelight. Yeah. yeah, I like that. And yeah, just to go back to what we're saying about you can't do Venus all the time. You can't do Mars Mm-mm. all the time either without just like falling no. over dead. Like, you need, <laughs> yeah. like, you, like if you're fighting a lot, you need to like eventually rest. Yeah. You need to eventually eat something. You, you got to keep morale up. Your body. To keep the soldiers in the field. Yes. And you, yeah, you have to keep. Yeah. And that's where the Venus comes in with mm-hmm. war. Like you have to give people a reason to fight mm-hmm. for something, some some kind of value. Yeah. 
And I think of uh, I think of Libra too. I think of socializing because you know the air signs are all about social connection and sharing ideas and sharing information. And Libra is a Venus ruled sign, which is all about um, bringing people together and unifying them and creating harmony between them. And it's one of the things that I think gets really undervalued in modern culture, like spending time talking to your friends is seen as a sort of like frivolous, unnecessary activity. But like, if you actually look at psychological research, the more people, the more time people spend just talking to their friends, just for the sake of enjoying each other's company, no like purpose or goal to it, but just the only, the only goal to this activity is we're going to take pleasure in one another's company and conversation. Like that is the realm of Libra. And we do tend to really undervalue its importance because it's such a like productivity driven culture. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's not, see, you're you're not like making money or, uh, you know, achieving any, you know, you're not getting any letters on the beginning or end of your name (laughs) by hanging out with your friends. Yeah. But it's super important to our psychological well-being and just to like, it's fundamental to human nature to want to just enjoy each other. Yeah, it's something I have to remind myself of often. (laughs) Yeah. It's good. It's okay to just, you don't have to be accomplishing things all the time, you know? Yeah. That's something labor teaches Aries is you don't have to run around accomplishing (laughs) things all the time. Like sometimes just hang out with your friends. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think right now our mainstream society is a bit too much in Aries like Mars direction and needs to come back to a little more Venus. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Libra is often a sign that's kind of uh, um, overlooked. And I think that Libra kind of likes that a little bit. They do kind of want to be in the background, kind of schmoozing everyone, making sure everyone's doing yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Because because they do know what's going on. They know that it helps. They, they know that, um, you know, they, they're kind of like feeling the vibes of everyone. And like, you can't really have a good social movement without Libra. So like, I think that part of them kind of like likes being a little bit um, under the radar, but they are, yeah, they are very, it's a very important. Yeah. Thing. I feel like Libra will, often end up being the center of attention without really intending to be, you know, like they'll say Libra shows up to the party, you know, they're going to be chit-chatting with everybody um, and being like, oh, you know, I just talked to to Robert over there. You guys both love D&D. You guys should get together. Hey, Robert, have you met Timothy? You guys should be friends and like mm-hmm. end up like just connecting the party together. Yeah. And everybody will know Libra, but maybe yeah, Libra won't be up on the stage, like, performing for the night. Yeah. Or maybe she will, you know, but, or he, they will, <laughs> but the, uh, it's not, like, for the sake of performance or achievement. It's kind of for its own sake, like you were saying, Tristan. It's for the pleasure. Yeah, it's more driven by mm-hmm. pleasure, yeah, than by achievement. Well, we could probably go on and on about Aries and Libra forever, but we seems like a good stopping point for for those two yeah i mean this is cool that we're getting into the next venus and mars pair so the next one is fixed so there's a different energy than like the, the libra and aries are cardinal but taurus and scorpio are fixed so they're a lot more like solid deep into the seasons that they're a part of and they're a different polarity too because you you know we went from yeah, air and fire, uh, which are more outward focused, and you know more about what goes on during mm-hmm. the day. You know, even though like Libra is a Venus ruled sign, it's like the somewhat more um, 
active out and about sort of Venus sign, whereas Taurus is like the deep relaxation. Like <laughs> Venus is at maximum, has turned the chill up to maximum in yeah. Taurus. When I think you're yeah. going from uh, less, you're getting into a less social space. Not that Taurus isn't social and, and more into a, um, a sensual space with Taurus. More into mm-hmm. like the physical enjoyment of things. The um, the physical pleasures, the uh, physical objects, the sensual experiences of life, as opposed to the the uh, the social ones. I think Taurus can be, you know, it, it very social, but it can be very uh, happy to to do its own thing <laughs> and enjoy things on its own. It's not as um, socially dependent, I would say, as as Libra. Mm-hmm. Although it is very nurturing, it is the the exaltation of the moon. The moon likes being in Taurus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> We've got our, our Taurus moon representative yeah. with us, so I feel like uh, you're you're yeah. the expert on this subject here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the reason why the moon probably likes being in Taurus is that yeah, the moon is and the moon is about like our emotions and um, you know like because cancer is ruled by the moon we'll get to cancer more later but you know emotions can you know fluctuate a lot and Taurus is kind of like nice and chill and it's like um let's explore these emotions together but in this like slow kind of sustainable way and that's what I really appreciate about having a Taurus moon kind of balancing out my Scorpio stellium because (laughs) I'll have a lot of existential dread and like want to be very dramatic, but my Taurus moon is like, okay, we can be dramatic later, but let's like eat a snack and like take a nap and kind of like chill and like vibe through it. And maybe it's not as bad, but like, let's just like, you know, wait a little bit. So it is kind of this like nice, like stable um, sign yeah. for the moon. Yeah. I think too, maybe something to know, uh, note about exaltations is that while the planet's like super compatible with that sign, there is always a, there's like a bit of a challenge I think to overcome with all exaltations. Like oh, yeah. it's much more supported, has like resources available to it, but it, it's, um, you know, the moon is not necessarily super comfortable in that sort of fixed, uh, stable yeah. setting. You know, it wants to move and fluctuate uh, while the moon in Taurus is sort of the challenge of maintaining stability and centeredness, steadiness, when its nature is to be hither and thither and yon. Is that a word? Yon? Hither and yon? If it isn't, it is yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, I def- yeah, I can definitely mm-hmm. see that. And like also having having a moon in Taurus, it is very um, luxurious. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that means a lot of spending a lot of money on really soft things and you shouldn't <laughs> always do that so me and Tristan i love, love soft things but, also <laughs> yeah I, I do too and my moon is like i want to feel emotionally secure and i need the soft blanket mm-hmm. and or the soft pairs of pants and that's one drawback of having an exalted moon is that it, it wants a lot of it's material things a, a exalted moon in, a, in an earth sign wants a lot of yeah. material things so high expectations yeah, yeah. maybe refined taste yeah, that's the thing with uh yeah, refined taste is a good one. That's that's the thing with exaltations is they come with those yeah. high expectations and high pressure and can kind of suck up a lot of energy and attention. Yeah. I think there's something to Taurus that it, it, it almost gets like dismissed as like kind of boring or like people end up summing up Taurus in pr- pretty short 
words like that are the, the, the uh that's true it doesn't get the like yeah long, it doesn't <laughs> grandiose maybe get words. the depth that it deserves but i think there's something about taurus and just the appreciation of uh moments and experiences like where you know mm. in, uh, enjoying the the weight of something in your hands the subtle like difference between a pair of socks and another pair of socks somewhere like this is a thing i have a bunch of taurus planets and like i can maybe <laughs> it matters i know I hate when matters. the seams are at the very end of the sock it, totally does. it drives me nuts because it grates on the tips of my toes so i need you know the right the seam to be in the right place i need it, it can't be too tight because you know then you get the the marks in your <laughs> your ankles and it's restrictive you get the blood flow um, but if it's too loose, you know, then it bunches up and it falls down. You got to, you know, the right socks are important. And Taurus will tell you. I think you, it's. <laughs> the, that's a, we'll make that's a really big Taurus yeah, lesson. For you. Yeah. Under undervalued <laughs> wisdom <laughs> of Taurus planets. Totally. Well, yeah, I think it's kind of a shame that uh, Taurus gets stereotyped as boring for some reason. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing... There's nothing dull about Taurus. Like it's a Venus ruled sign, which literally represents everything that makes us happy and gives us pleasure. And that, you know, a big, um, an important part of Venus's domain is music. Mm -hmm. And like all of the, I don't think I know a single Taurian who isn't either a musician or a dancer. Um, So (laughs) it's, it's a pattern. I mean, that reminds, cause I've run to like a while back. I did this like little, like, dances for each of the signs like in the revolution like the revolutionary energy of that sign and like the one i was when i was thinking about taurus that was the one i was like kind of the most struck by because like the the answer for like a revolutionary taurus energy for me is like you know taurus is all about knowing what we're fighting for and like fully enjoying like everything there is to enjoy about life which is very Mm. you know venus like enjoying art and music and like the simple pleasures of life and like food and like just like getting deep into culture, mm-hmm. like, you know, when, when a society is happy, when they're like creating art and food and enjoying each other's company, similar to Libra, but Libra is in a season where it's like more like, okay, um, it's more in like a winding down period. Whereas like Taurus represents the, you know, fixed part of spring it's the heart of spring. So it's really the time of the year when it's like, we're okay. Like we're chilling here. Like we're in spring. We're like planning. We have like new food coming up. And, you know, there's like not as much to worry about. And I think that that's kind of like overlooked, but like in a revolution or like in a social movement, like you need to kind of enjoy the things in life that we want to keep sustainable. So um, like it kind mm-hmm. of just like similar to Libra, it's like, what are we fighting mm-hmm. for? Like that that's the Venus to the Mars. Yeah, I think uh, when you're moving to like Taurus Scorpio axis, you're, you're getting more into... Um is Taurus has like ambition, you know, it does have like, you know, steady movement towards things in Scorpio. Similarly, it's like kind of a power axis. There's, you know, you can get into on the dark side, like things like greed, covetousness, like wanting to, to collect and and hold many things. But then when you think about Taurus and the exaltation of the moon versus its fall in Scorpio, there is just the quality of Taurus where there is, um, living in like more now kind of mentality, like focused on what's happening right now in front of it, this Mm. experience that I'm in the moon, you know, being about the body and the, um, the turning over of bodies, the, the death and birth of bodies, Scorpio, uh, 
being a sign that's very concerned with death. Uh, maybe the part of the moon's struggle on there is that, you know, when it's um, existing in its day-to-day life, enjoying the apple that it's it's eating, you know, it's like this apple is good, but I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. That constant awareness of mortality makes it hard yeah. for Scorpio to get into that relaxed frame of mind. Yeah, it's hard to relax. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a sense of like, can I really actually mm-hmm. relax or, you know, is something going to happen? Do I need to be like hyper vigilant? And mm-hmm. I think that's definitely a big Scorpio signification. Like area, like the, the Aries Mars is a little bit more like action oriented. Like I'm going to go start a war, but like the Scorpio Mars significations I think of as more like defending yeah. and guarding and looking, mm-hmm. looking out for danger, almost like being a, like a sniper, like looking out for the danger and trying to see it before it gets you. So like, that kind of energy, like for the moon, that must be really hard because like the moon just like wants to relax and Scorpio is like, no, we can't. We have to be ever vigilant, emotionally. Hypervigilant, Hyper yeah. yeah. Constant, constant vigilance. I always think of Mad-Eye Moody and I'm like, I'm pretty sure he has the moon in Scorpio. Mad-Eye Moody. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. yeah. I, that's a uh, defense against the dark arts is definitely a, a Scorpio yeah, subject. The, the eye that's constantly... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's like the the way that that Scorpio is fixed is more like sort of lying in wait, uh, waiting for something to happen, you know, waiting for the, what? Yeah. For the other shoe to drop. <laughs> yeah, like a commando. I like the lying in waiting because there is a patience to Scorpio, but it's like waiting for mm-hmm. the threat to come. The threat is always within the awareness. It's just waiting for that moment to come. Yeah. If you're a spider in your web, waiting for the bug to come in and... and suck its juices out or um or yeah. if you're the commando you know you're behind enemy lines and you got the knife in your your teeth and you're waiting for the guard to, to come by yeah. so you can come up and stab them like i don't know <laughs> not that everything in scorpio is, is about stabbing people but <laughs> it's a little bit but threat yeah assessment. i do associate yeah i do associate scorpio with like kind of predator animals that are like sneaking yeah. around like in the camouflage because like that's a that's a big element camouflage, of like yeah. animals is like being camouflaged yeah and being hidden from view waiting for the prey to come as opposed to going and seeking it out yeah taurus is like the soft fluffy bunny or like the beautiful yeah. deer you know you like the sun is setting and you see this like beautiful deer you know against the the colors of the sunset just like so graceful and then scorpio is more like you know the the, the skunk eating your garbage in the middle of the night. Well, Scorpio might ex- uh, uh, experience that same scene, like similarly, like might enjoy it, but it's in it's in That's like a, a blind but in the forest thinking... with a rifle waiting to, to snipe the deer out. Yeah, there's something like very nature oriented with both of them. Actually, know like a lot of like Scorpio heavy people that mm-hmm. really like to spend time in the forest. They need time like alone, or like hunting, or um, not even just hunting, but just. Time alone, honestly, it seems the tourist likes to yeah. spend time alone. Tourist likes to, uh, you know, it'll go into the art studio and, and paint for three days, but it wants to do it alone. Yeah. Like tourists being alone is more like, I'm really relaxing and enjoying this. I don't want anyone to bother yeah. me and disturb my peace. Whereas Scorpio alone is more like, I can't really, like, I have to be hyper vigilant <laughs> all the time and being mm-hmm. around more people just makes me even more yeah. like, stressed out. I need to get away, get away from mm-hmm. these people. Yeah, like someone's going to attack me at some point. So I need to 
like defensively uh, move into solitude. Yeah. Yes. So that, you know, no one can threaten yeah. me. I, yeah, I will say like as a Scorpio, I don't feel like I can fully relax, like living around too many people. Like, so that I definitely relate to that. I'm like, <laughs> I need to be alone right now. I think uh, another uh, key part of this axis is it's kind of like the axis of comfort and discomfort. Mm. When you're in Taurus, everything is comfortable. Um, you know, your clothes fit right and there aren't any tags digging into your skin and, you know, there are no immediate threats in your environment. Um, and, you know, the temperature is just right in the room. It's all climate controlled and nice. And when you're in Scorpio, that's dealing with things and situations that are very uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's one of, I mean, it's, it's a strength for both of them. Like comfort is important, but I think one of the great strengths of Scorpio like, you know, a quality that it shares with all of the signs that are ruled by malefic planets by Mars or Saturn is that willingness to do the things that are not easy that nobody else wants to do to like, start the hard conversation, or to, you know, be the person who unclogs the <laughs> toilet, or, you know, is like willing to um, do things that cause discomfort or pain, but which are like needful that, that need to be done that are important. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a sort of, there's, there's a little bit of a, of a heroic streak to both of the Mars ruled signs in a way where, you know, at, at their best, it's about like stepping up and um, moving into a, a dangerous, you know, at, at worst, a potentially deadly situation, right? Like being the person who's willing to go into a burning building uh, to rescue somebody. Yeah. You know, you you need a Scorpio or an Aries kind of energy uh, to do that kind of activity. Yeah. The yeah. things that, like, take sustained effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that's why a lot of, Scor yeah, a lot of, I guess, Scorpios probably, I assume, I don't know, make a lot of enemies. Because um, <laughs> yeah. they'll, 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 they'll say whatever, things that are, internet. yeah, they'll say <laughs> things that are, like, truthful that, some people are like not really ready to mm -hmm. hear, but mm -hmm. may maybe like the, what they see is that like this needs to be said or, you know, it's going to get worse or like yeah. I'm trying to mitigate the danger of this by making people aware of it or speaking up about something that everyone else is yeah. ignoring. And, you know, you need that kind of like energy. The stuff people don't want to think about. It's like all the stuff that people want to sweep under the rug. Uh, Scorpio is the sign that gets stuck dealing with it at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, I think like as a culture, you know, collectively, we've been having some really hard conversations about privilege and power. Um, and a lot of people will get their back up and get defensive when uh, they have to confront the ways in which they've been unfairly made comfortable by their society while other people have to suffer for the comforts that they enjoy. And it's it's like none of us wants to like look into ourselves and, and look at the ways in which like we benefit from the oppression of other people, but we, we have mm -hmm. to. And that's, that's Scorpio's job is like, we've, we've got to face this stuff and it's, it's not going to be uh, fun and it's not going to feel good. It's not going to make us feel good. And that's not the point, right? It's like, mm -hmm. we don't, you know, examine, these things in order to feel good, we examine them in order to make them right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just going to get worse if you put it off. So I think mm -hmm. Scorpio kind of understands that like, this is going to suck either way. So I might as well just like pull the bandaid off and yeah. start this conversation or start this now. Yeah. Totally. I think about like, um, 
you know, pulling up the floorboards and finding like rot and mold underneath, which, you know, you have to like scour it. You have to, you probably re do, I actually don't know how to do any of this stuff, but um, <laughs> probably have to like re put in new wood, put in new everything, like remodel uh, or reform the whole thing. But that means you have to like dig everything out and cut everything out. And it, it takes like a lot of work. It's not something you can just like patch up or um, smooth over. It takes like longer sustained effort, but, and also a willingness to look under the floorboards. Mm-hmm. It might look nice on the surface, but like underneath, if you leave it, let it decay and fester too long, your whole house will collapse. Yeah, and I think like with the the moon being uncomfortable in Scorpio, part of that is that all human beings feel darker emotions and we all um, have like strong survival instincts and um, emotions like envy and jealousy and resentment and anger and fear and all those really unpleasant emotions are actually like really important to our survival. But, you know, obviously they're not enjoyable to experience. And we're also, you know, there's there's still a little bit of this like puritanical uh, streak, I think, in our culture where, um, you know, feeling those things, uh, it's it's almost like the emotion police in a way, <laughs> like you're not allowed to feel those things. You're a bad person if you yeah. feel those things. You know, if, if somebody does something bad, if someone cuts you off in traffic, and you get angry, then you should feel bad about yourself for getting angry. And it's like, that's that's not productive. It's normal and natural to get angry. It's not good to let that anger control you and cause you to do an immoral action. But there's nothing, you're not a bad person because you felt mm-hmm. angry. You're not a bad person because you felt jealous. And um, the moon, when it's in Scorpio, is kind of faced with that side of our emotional nature all the time. And it's really easy for the moon in Scorpio to then go, well, then I'm bad and I need to be ashamed of myself um, because I feel these things when it's actually totally normal and fine yeah. to feel them. And you can just like feel it and let it go, which fixed signs are not good at doing. Yeah. <laughs> sort of letting it go. It's like, no, I'm going to sit here and beat myself up over it. Uh, because I felt something that I feel like I morally shouldn't have felt the other day. And now I'm going to like make that worse by piling guilt (laughs) on top of it too. (laughs) Scorpio can get a little lost in that sometimes. Yeah. I think what I I guess, I don't know the Scorpio Venus and me conjunct Pluto is like really obsessed with like, uh, you know, taking apart shame and like when you mm. said that i'm like oh i feel for the scorpio moons because like they shouldn't be feeling like that like you know fuck <laughs> shame i think yes <laughs> that's that, that's maybe a scorpio pluto generate that's like another tangent but like maybe that's like part of the scorpio pluto generation is like this is like uh, you know yeah um, of like tackling shame and like really yeah. exploring it because it, we've just like kind of like stomached it for so long and it's really destructive mm-hmm yeah, I th- I, that's probably like a tangent for this podcast. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> no, I love it. Another future episode. Um, yeah, but I think it's still a good point because um, you know, thinking about uh, a planet in its exaltation, there's a lot I think in common with a planet in fall that they can express similarly. You know, while maybe a planet exalted can have like very high expectations of itself. Um, that are really hard to meet, you know, and can can end up feeling Mm -hmm. that same level of like disappointment or shame or is kind of forced to to hold, say the moon in Taurus, is forced to hold on to feelings a lot longer than the moon would normally like to. It may have more support in like dealing with those feelings when they come up, but I think you can still run into similar issues. 
but there's like value, I guess, on both sides of the spectrum. Um, because when I'm thinking about like Scorpio too, it's, uh, it's Mars ruled water, you know? So it is, I'd say it's like weaponizing the water, I don't know, but it's, it's also, it, it can, it's Tidal in a wave. position to, if it wants to extrovert the water, like, um, it's not always inclined to, you know, but like they will speak on it, you know, they'll speak to what's in the, that dark abyss, you know, <laughs> they'll speak to, uh, yeah. what's under the, the log, the, all the, the maggots yeah. <laughs> underneath there. <laughs> You can definitely drown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the exactly. Yeah. Hide the bodies. Yeah. <laughs> My absolute favorite activity as a child was flipping over logs and finding all the creepy crawlies underneath. It's just Scorpio moon. I am, yeah. I am such a Scorpio moon yeah. child. Yeah, and I mean, I have two pet snakes, and I keep bugs and stuff. And I always like, I, I like what yeah. hides in the dark corners because I was always like, those creatures are really like important. And they like play a really necessary role in the ecosystem and they're actually not harmful, but they're very mm -hmm. misunderstood, which I feel is also like Scorpio yeah. can be, uh, yeah. misunderstood is a good keyword for Scorpio. <laughs> Definitely. You know, you think of the, uh, being forced to like dive under into the dark water longer than the moon normally would want to, wants to move through water quickly. It, you can... I guess see more and experience more, but like you develop compassion for what's down there too. Fallen, fallen so planets, cute. I think, are very good at loving the, you know, what other people think is unlovable. Uh, yes. Like Sun and Aquarius people, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we'll talk a bit about that when we get to Aquarius. Like loving the outcasts and the misfits yeah. is a big, mm. you know, Sun and Aquarius thing where it's, you know, planets in, in detriment or fall are definitely good at, at, sort of taking in the outcasts and the misunderstood and giving them a place mm -hmm. to stay. I'd say that's, that would go with Venus and Scorpio too. It's, there's a, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, definitely. Just maybe a good thing to note about Scorpio is it's not a place where soft planets do great <laughs> or where, where they're, they're going to struggle, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, while yeah, Taurus yeah. is a place where soft planets, you know, go to, to frolic and, and chill and sunbathe. The Shire. I think uh, the Shire is very Taurus. Oh, yeah. Such a, yeah. Hobbits are very, very Taurus very, people. Yeah. <laughs> like, j just down to the fact that, you know, they a lot of them didn't even want to go on their mission. Like, they're like, oh, yeah. no. Here. Like, please, uh, let me sleep more. Let me have a second breakfast. I'm yeah. too soft for this. Yeah, they're not, they're not like adventurous people. <laughs> no. Yeah, they're like, why would, why would mm -hmm. we do that? It's like, yeah, it's like um, if you gave, you yeah, have the ring to a Taurus, that that's what would happen. There'd be a lot of complaining, ah. like, oh, do we really yeah. have to do this? And I guess, <laughs> yeah, that is like something I do want to pitch about Taurus, because I feel like, you know, Taurus is associated as like very lazy. And I think it's kind of an unfair, like I, I get it to a certain extent, but it's kind of unfair. Because I do think like when, like I think you mentioned before, Kyle, like, Taurus is like fixed signs are very single-minded. Mm -hmm. Like when they're doing something, they're going to be doing it for a while. And like Taurus is like, I often see them like when they are working, they work really hard. And then they, and as soon as like their time to work is up, they're like, okay, I'm relaxing yeah. now. Like it's like, it's like, yes, done with work. I already did my work. I'm not working overtime. I'm ready to relax yeah. now. So like they do work hard. It's just, they're not going to be like a Capricorn, like working overtime and like trying to, they're going to be ambitious in a different kind of way. Like they're going to be very thorough about their work. 
but also like, um, yeah, that idea of like, um, you know, just like fully relaxing is something that they're really good at and that they can teach to other people. And that's like the part of the season, like the fixed part of spring is that that is the time like we really need to be enjoying what we have because there is going to be a time like in Scorpio season where things are going to get harder and we're going to have to like face some like really tough things together. Um, and so you really want to spend that time with when you have like the juicy fruit, like enjoying it because, you know, it's going to go away one day, but you should really focus on enjoying yeah. it in the moment. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. That was perfect. It's- Taurus likes to have like a, I don't know, it's like a, you know, the process, having a good work-life balance, the steady mm-hmm. the movement towards the goal. What are the, what's the really, give me, um, it's not about the, the destination, but the journey or, or something. Yeah. The journey. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the journey. Like enjoy the yeah. present moment. Whereas Scorpio says, be fearful of the present moment. <laughs> that's and that's a big trait of, of both of the Mars ruled signs, I think, is like facing fear, um, which is always like I, I was always confused that my chart is so Marsy, like I've got the sun and Mercury in Aries and my ascendant ruler is the moon in Scorpio and I have an exalted Mars in Capricorn. And it's like I it's there's a lot of Mars <laughs> going on in my chart and I'm not uh, super aggressive, confrontational uh person but um you know i've i have spent most of my life with several anxiety disorders and um a lot of the time like you know stuff that other people take for granted is actually really frightening for me and yet i keep doing it like i keep doing the thing i keep getting up and and facing that fear and saying like i'm not gonna let it control me and i mean i've had like certain privileges that have allowed me to do that too, that other people have not had. So I'm not, you know, making this like a look at me, I'm so great, like success story kind of thing. Cause I've had support, but um, I do think like the way I understand the Mars ruled mm. signs is about like being willing to face mm. fear and like doing the thing, even though you're scared shitless, just like doing it yeah. anyway. That's, that's the kind of energy that those signs bring. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Cause like, you know, I don't really consider myself someone that's like super confrontational, but I do feel very like Mars ruled <laughs> in a lot of ways. And I kind of, I kind of like feel like um the, you know, the cowardly line and like Wizard of Oz where the cowardly line is like very afraid of like everything, but they ultimately yeah. like, want to find courage and they're like on this quest for courage. And that's kind of how I feel all the time. Yeah. Where, like I'm constantly afraid of things, yes. but I'm like, but I'm like always trying to find like a slow, very Taurus moon, like slow, sustainable way and very Scorpio to um, address my fears and just like, a, you know, a little bit at a time because I feel like, okay, I'm going to have to face yeah. this eventually. And I would rather just like face it. But now I know it's coming and I can do it in a way that's sustainable yeah. for me. I think like the the willingness totally. to, to metaphorically maybe die with like Scorpio, it's like a, to, face to face death, death and maybe yeah. eat it a handful of times but know that, you know, you have the strength to get back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay to be mm-hmm. afraid. Um, it's more just like what you do. Yeah, with that exactly. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's, there's one little uh, minor point I want to make about uh, Scorpio before we move on, which is that um, disarming is my mm. favorite Scorpio yeah. keyword. And I think it's something that gets missed a lot. Like it is about camouflage and concealment um and defensiveness and so you know we have all these images for scorpio that are very martial or very spooky or whatever but like 
when you think about it, what is the most disarming, most camouflaged uh, sort of way you could appear is as somebody gentle and agreeable. You know, like I, I picture Scorpio like running around wearing a flower crown and a floral, floral print dress and, um, you know, being like super, like so many of the Scorpio people I know, I just feel like relaxed when you're in their presence. And so I think it's that sort of like, you know, Scorpio is very good at appearing very light and gentle and soft, but actually having this like, you know, there's, there is power within and they don't necessarily want you to know, but like Aries wants you to know yes. that they're powerful. Yeah. Aries is in your face about it. Like, don't you forget <laughs> how powerful I am. And Scorpio is like, no, I want you to underestimate me. I want you to misjudge me because if I need to protect myself, you will not see it coming. I will be the last person you expect yes. or the last person you would accuse. Yeah, where's the stinger that's behind? Yeah, Scorpio has to have like a poker face. Yeah, for sure. It's all about strategy. Like Aries Mars is like about going headlong, head first into battle. And Scorpio Mars is like the overall strategy. Of mm-hmm. It's about having a plan. It's Mars and Scorpio or just, yeah, the Scorpio version of Mars is the, the grand strategy, the long game. Uh, while Aries is like, did I look good when I stabbed the guy, <laughs> when I impaled him with the American flag? Did I look good brandishing yes. my legendary sword? Yeah. I'm going to oh stab God. in the most violent way possible with the most yes. blood everywhere. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, Scorpio is like, I, like I'm like i going to yeah. shoot you and you won't even Nobody will find your body. Yeah. And it's also like we kind of expect Scorpio people to be like dressed in black and like... <laughs> yeah. That's Capricorn. I, I mean, I, I'm kind of like that, but I. Yeah. Yeah. Capricorn Cap- is really the more I am a goth sign. Though, yeah, so. Cap- Capricorn's the goth sign. I feel like Scorp- most of the like really Scorpio-y people I know have just been very sort of like gentle and fun. Like they look like what you would expect Tauruses <laughs> to look like. Yeah, I, I know <laughs> they come yeah. off that way. Yeah, yeah, Good and, and they're like genuinely nice, gentle people. But it's like I know that you know. Deep well, down, you're are. assessing they every are. possible threat at the same time. <laughs> they are nice. <laughs> yeah. But like, I think, yeah, I, I I do often hear some people who are like trying to defend Scorpios say like, oh, I really like talking to Scorpios. They put me at ease. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, you know, that is fair. Like, um, like, like you said, they are probably like, you know, trying not to appear as like badass as they really are. But also like with that water that fix like water, there's a lot of emotional depth. So mm-hmm. when when you get the trust of a Scorpio, which is, you know, really hard, like when when a Scorpio trusts you, they probably are like a really good friend, someone that's understands that can hold a lot of grief and a lot of like darker like feelings. Mm-hmm. So probably, they probably are good to talk to. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tristan's point about yeah. Scorpios are good at looking at like Tauruses. Uh, and I think in general, because the fixity of it, like the the appearance of stillness, you know, and the appearance of stability i think is, is important i think for both yeah oh actually i did wear a lot of really colorful clothing as a kid now that i think about it there was like, i mean scorpio I can be get kind of flamboyant it because it's it's mars rule that's a little more expressive i think it wants to bring the deep weird water out <laughs> i was very flamboyant as a kid well i i have an a I have an Aquarius too. Mars too, so that's <laughs> Aquarius Yay! Mars. Is. <laughs> More pick signs. But so that that kind of flamboyant yeah. side of Mars, yeah. 
I was like making a lot of weird clothing. <laughs> Conventional anyway, weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to pull it all apart, I guess, because, you know, nobody has like, uh, I don't know, everybody is kind of looking at astrology, studies astrology is looking at astrology through context of their own charts to some degree. So it's, it's always uh, yeah. good to talk about. Good to hear other people's perspective, you know, and maybe know that there isn't any one unbiased perspective. Well, um, Keith is probably going to head to bed soon. <laughs> so yeah, I'm getting tired too. I should probably wrap it up for the yeah. night. And I feel like we will have a good segue into Gemini because it's another misunderstood sign, much like Scorpio. Yeah. Very misunderstood. Very, yeah. They're the two most misunderstood. Yeah. What's well, this is really great for my Scorpio <laughs> self. Yeah. Stuff, so thank you. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot uh Scorpios that Scorpios need to I, hear, I think, in general. So uh <laughs> On that note, um, I think we're going to make this episode a two-parter and uh, continue with the rest of the signs in our next episode. Um, So we will say farewell for now. Um, Bonnie, do you want to let us know if you've got any exciting projects coming up, anything you want to share with the world? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, first of all, if you want to find me on Instagram, I love to chat about astrology with people. I'm at May Day Astrology. Um, my name is Bonnie Maymay, so it works perfectly to have May Day Astrology. Um, I'm going to be facilitating or co-facilitating my first class of Stardance Mystery School, um, which is on Patreon. You can find us there. But we're doing a class called Queering the Planets, which is we're basically going to be talking about the planets and different like queer perspectives of them, um, like outside the traditional gender norms. Um, and there's going to be multiple tracks for this class. So it kind of depends on when this is going out, but the first one is going to be starting with the personal planets, the sun through Mars on January 18th. Um, and then we're going to have another track for Jupiter and Saturn, the more social planets um, on March 8th. And then um, the final one on April 12th for a Chiron through Pluto, the more generational planet. So if, if you're interested in that, um, you can go to Stardance Mystery School on Patreon or feel free to find me on Instagram if you want to chat more about that. Awesome. That sounds so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I get this out by the 18th. That's, yeah. Well, we have different tracks. So yeah. Yeah. You, you can. It sounds like, yeah, you can get in a little later or, yeah. yeah and there's some other things on the patreon like we'll do like me- we do like meditations i'm going to be um the electional astrologer the new electional astrologer so i'll be um doing a spring sorry not spring end of winter um election that i'm going to be sharing and giving people ideas for different rituals they can do for that um for that election and i guess i should explain electional astrology um electional astrology is when you um you pick like it's like natal astrology is where like you're looking at the chart for your birth. Um, electional astrology is more like looking out in the future and picking a date, like an auspicious time where you might want to do a certain event. Like maybe you're applying for a job or, um, you know, publishing a book or um, doing a ritual. So it's like picking a time that might be ideal for that for that adventure. Yeah. Do you offer uh, electoral astrology services? Not oh. yet. Um, so I haven't I haven't started doing readings quite yet, but I'm planning to start offering that soon. So right now I'm just getting set up on social media and 
co-facilitating this class, but that's something I plan to do in the future. I would love to do electional astrology for folks. So if you're interested, let me know. Awesome. Well, what about you, Tristan? Do you have anything going on? Yeah, I uh, can also be found on Instagram at Bad Sign Astrology. And uh, my website, uh, where you can book a reading with me, I do uh, natal astrology, I do synastry, and uh, I can do a bit of forecasting looking at perfections and transits. Um, So if you want to book any of those sorts of readings with me, uh, you can find that on my website, badsignastrology.ca. And you can also find me on Tumblr at Bad Sign Astrology, where I post a bit of astrology writing um, and also, you know, a little bit of uh, basic stuff like what we're doing here. So some like resources for learning astrology you can find on my blog. Awesome. Well, um, it's for me. You can find me on Instagram and Tumblr at Astrology for Earthlings. And you can book a reading with me at my website, kylepierceastrology.com. And I think Tristan and I, maybe it's probably an okay time to say a, a bit that we're going to be starting um, a club on the Clubhouse app. Our co-moderator, Shay, uh, will also be running a tarot room, which Kyle and I will be participating in. So definitely check both of those out. If you like tarot, astrology, both, uh, come and join us. Yeah, you can, you know... Share your own thoughts about tarot or share, you know, stuff that's going on in your chart. And we all, you know, we all learn more and stuff like that together. I want to join. So. That sounds cool. Yes, please do. It's a, it's a nice yeah. structure. I feel like it's a good, it's a good social structure for introverts because it's very structured and it's like, you don't have to worry about talking over other mm-hmm. people or, you know, you each kind of get, it, it's like you each have the, the talking, you the each talking have the mic for, yeah, yeah, the talking stick for a certain amount of <laughs> I time. I love that. It works well for me. Yeah. So yeah, not not yeah, only like will you get Kyle and I if you attend these rooms, but it sounds like you will also get Bonnie. Live. So yeah, I know. If you want more fun? You want more of the uh, three of us live? <laughs> then, <laughs> then come get it. But yeah, get the Clubhouse app and you know be in our club. Talk with us. That's it. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time for more more signs. Bye. If you have a question you would like to hear answered on Astrology Hotline, send us an email at astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com.